Okay. Typically, we do go verse by verse to do an exposition, but because I'm just in town this Sunday, and I want to pick up in November when we return um, our study in the book of Romans, I do want to read a few scriptures where we left off in Romans and do a topical sermon today. Uh, Topical sermon. Very rare. But in Romans chapter 8, we left off discussing the battle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit of God that dwells in us gives us the power to walk in complete victory because the victory has already been provided by Jesus Christ. In verse 26, the Bible says, likewise... Romans 8, 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So this portion of scripture, speaking another ministry that the Holy Spirit has for us in intercession. As we pray and we run out of words, we can still have the Holy Spirit praying for us as even Jesus Christ prays for us. But this great subject that we've been focused on, this incredibly important subject, is the subject of overcoming the flesh each and every day. Now, this is a debate in uh, Christianity in terms of the relationship that the flesh has with a believer. The relationship that that wicked flesh, and we're not talking about this blood here, but that flesh inside of us, that part of us that desires complete wickedness and sin and pleasure and selfishness. And the debate is, does the flesh still exist? There are some who actually believe that the flesh doesn't exist, that it's been completely destroyed, and we no longer uh, battle with that. But that's not accurate at all. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. That is after we are born again by the cross of the Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, we still have to contend with the flesh. And Galatians 5 tells us this is all that's in the flesh. It's the fornication and and, and murder and strife and envy and and adulteries and uh, gossip and slanders and all these things. And this is the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And that is... Love and joy and peace and hope and patience and uh, self-control and all the fruits of the Spirit. So we know the Bible teaches us, though it teaches us the flesh is conquered, the flesh is defeated by the strength and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that for whatever reason, like a zombie, it's still active in our lives. It's still there. It's present with us. And so... As all these books have been written um, concerning the flesh and the relationship, 
One of the things that is clear from scripture is that though the flesh is defeated, we can still give into the flesh and commit evil deeds even as Christians and believers. If that were not true, then David, the king, one of the greatest men in all of the scripture, couldn't be saved if there was no flesh. So I think one of the great questions is when we do sin, what element of the flesh overcame us? What would be one of the central subjects that we could discuss for the reason that we gave in to the flesh? And I believe as a proper... Um, well, let me just say I am not a hyper-Calvinist, though reformed in many of my beliefs. I believe the discussion is free will. That though Christ has given us the strength, the victory, and the power by the word of God and the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh each and every day, as Adrian Rogers said many years ago, that great Baptist preacher, he said there is no necessity for sin in the New Testament. Well, I believe that though we have victory, though we have strength and power, it is a choice that gives into the flesh. We can choose to walk in the power of God. With this, the question that I think we should always ask ourselves as Christians is how can we be used by God? That's the title of today's sermon. How can we be used by God? Or another title, if you like, would be how can we influence others by the power of God, for the sake of God? How can we be used by God? How can we influence others for God? Because understand, we must choose to follow Christ each and every day. We must choose to wake up and read our Bibles. We must choose to pray. We must choose, as Galatians 5 indicates, to walk in the Spirit. The Bible say, would not say, hey, you walk in the Spirit, if it wasn't a choice to walk in the Spirit each and every day. And the only way we can be effective, the only way we can be used by God and effective, influential is to manifest the nature of God from our lives, the Spirit of God. That is to suppress the, the flesh, to uh, uh, weaken the flesh by not feeding the flesh. And that's this great subject of Romans. It, it, it's the most anthropological book in all of uh, the Bible and the most anthropological book of all time in the history of the world. Anthropology, the study of man. Romans tells us exactly man's condition. It also is the greatest theological book in the New Testament. It tells us exactly who God is. Mentioning constantly the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in each individual work of the Trinity. And one of the great subjects that the will of God through the Apostle Paul decides for us is how to overcome the flesh. And I'm here to tell you, you must choose to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. If we were to be honest and, I, and not to be relatable, I want to say 
that I am in this category that most of us probably walk in the flesh more than we walk in the spirit. If we were to be honest, church, everyone in this room. And I want to give you eight practical things that would cause you to be used by God in your workplace, with your friends and with your family, and even the strangers that you meet along the way. Eight biblical principles that could help you be effective, but you must understand as we go into it, it is a choice. You have to choose to be effective. You have to choose to be influential, to be a great witness for God. Number one, and I know this is a cliche, many pastors say this all around the world, but it's true. Get out of your comfort zone. We have a tendency as human beings to run to the people that we are comfortable with only. Very interesting. You got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to go talk to people that you're not too acquainted with or even strangers. You got to go involve yourself in activities that put you around people that you can be influential to. I see it all the time as a pastor. When we break up in fellowship, and I'm not trying to condemn you, I run to the people who I'm comfortable with too. But we get right into our friend groups every time, don't we? Boosh, boosh. Unless it's a single dude looking for a lady, then he's willing to get out of his comfort zone. It's interesting how we gravitate. There is an insatiable pull in our minds and hearts to go with what we're comfortable with. It's such a part of who we are. And I submit to you that this morning that that insatiable desire to be comfortable is a work of the flesh and not a work of the spirit. In the book of Acts, let me give you an example of somebody who is willing to be very uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. In Acts chapter 14, verse 19, the Bible says, then Jews from Antioch and Iconian came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the multitudes gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed into Barnabas, uh, with Barnabas and Derby. And listen, this is what he did in the city. And when they had preached the gospel... To that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must suffer many tribulations to enter into the kingdom of God. So you have a man here, probably, arguably the greatest Christian who's ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And he goes into Antioch and Iconium and he starts preaching the gospel. And it's so effective, so powerful, that businesses start shutting down. And the multitude is convinced by this small mob, which is classically happening in America. A small group of people making the most noise, trying to do, you know, all this stuff. 
Same in Kenya, by the way. Small group of people. You will have the LGBTQ, what did Dina say? QRS community. And listen, we got to love them. We got to share the gospel with them. But you will have them making the most noise, though they're a minority. That's exactly what happened here. Exactly what happened. You have these business owners that are losing business, inciting the multitudes, and they convince them to stone the apostle Paul. They presume him to be dead, throw him out outside the city gate. His friends are going to come pick him up and bury him, but lo and behold, he's alive. What does he do? It's like, guys, just... Find a chair that I can go sit on. Is there any? I was stoned. You guys, you can, and no doubt the friends of Paul and those who were serving under him would find him a chair, a comfortable place, like just rest. Can you imagine the friends? You know you can. You, you guys are so hospitable and caring at times. The, I said at times, but mostly. That you know what you would do if the apostle Paul was stoned in front of you. You'd be like, if he tried to go back in that city, you'd be like, no, you have to go to the hospital. All you doctors and nurses, you'd have Ronnie right over there. So, yeah, this is what you got to do. This is the medicine you got to give. Is Ronnie here? You'd have all you nurses like, you can't go back in. You are not caring for your body. Get to the hospital. Well, what does the apostle Paul do? He goes right back into the city and he starts preaching the gospel. How insane is this man? He's not giving into the flesh in this moment at all. This is a man willing to exist, to daily live outside of the comfort zone, which by definition is living in the flesh. No wonder he was so effective. It, 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 let me put it this way. For, for a, a, a different way to say this first point, getting out of the comfort zone, try something new. Try something new. You know what one definition of insanity is, don't you? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You who are addicted to pornography, try something new. Throw away your phone. I bet you it works 100% of the time if you don't have access to internet. Or, or, or you make sure you have a blocker on your phone. You can't access. Try something new if you're like, oh, pastor, I just, I keep on falling. I keep on failing. You didn't do anything different from the last time I talked to you. How do you think you're going to succeed? <laughs> I had to go around to say that one. <laughs> Try something new. Have you shared the gospel with all of your colleagues? Oh, I know Kenya is a Christian nation, but 90% of them are in a prosperity gospel church. Go tell them to serve God without them being blessed with finances and health. Try something new. And by the way, just on a side note, and I know this is a pet peeve of mine because marriage is such under attack in the world today. The greatest reason I read in a recent article for fornication is the timeline, the, 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 the time gap between puberty and when people get married is the longest it's ever been in human history. Hey, guys, 
Try something new. You actually have to talk to a woman before you get to marry her. Did you know that, guys? You, you, you know why you never answer when I talk about marriage? Because you don't want the single lady you want to talk to next to you being like, yeah, I want to talk. Try something new. Go share the gospel with a stranger. Just try it once. Be nice. Be like, hey, I, the Lord has pressed it on my heart to, to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Do you know him? You know, I used to be so offended all the time when people would use the Lord's name in vain. I would just go mad all the time. You know how people will use Jesus Christ's name, but they're not really calling out to him, they just say it as a cuss word? Have you guys heard this? And instead of getting mad all the time, I decided to switch it into a gospel opportunity. And so when people say, ah, that name, I won't do it, but it's, it's very, very offensive. I'm like, oh, do you know Jesus Christ? Because he's my Lord. And they'll be like, uh, what? Uh, yeah, you mentioned his name. I was wondering if you know him. Because, like, he saved me. He bled out every drop of blood. I was wondering why you used it so casually as you were cursing. You guys ever tried that? Try something new. It's very interesting. You'll, you'll see people twitch. They immediately start having spasms in their face. <laughs> Confront the world over their blasphemous speech of our Lord. Get out of your comfort zone, church. Try something new. Number two, walk in the power of God. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, right above us, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Guys, each and every day, if you're not waking up asking for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, you will not be walking in the power of God. Because guess what? At night when we sleep, we leak. We just leak out. Not that the Holy Spirit's not with us. But for some reason, we just get fleshly in the morning, don't we? You kids don't even say hi to each other when you wake up. I just heard that yesterday. You wait like an hour. I shouldn't say you Kenyans. I do the same thing. You wake up. The first thing before food, the first thing before water is Holy Spirit, fill me. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible mentions this in the Gospel of Luke. If we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Father give us the Holy Spirit for those who ask? We must walk in the power of God. It's by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 the Bible says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word of God, the message of the cross, the gospel, for, for us, it is the power. How can you expect to be a powerful influence if you're ignorant about what's in this book? If you can't tell me three things the Bible says about marriage, you're ignorant about this book. If you can't tell me three things that the Bible says about friendship, you're ignorant. You have no power. You have no power if you don't have that knowledge. You have no strength. How can you walk in, in power if you don't have the word of God? You must walk in the power of God. Number three, 
Don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, brethren, this is the apostle Paul, I do not count myself to apprehend it. But the one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind. This is the complete opposite antithesis of what modern psychology is telling our children and us. When I, by the way, I hear somebody going, I want to go get a psychology degree. I'm like, for what? What are you talking about? To study the mind without knowing the soul is fruitless. And all modern secular psychology is so Freudian. Who wants to get advice from Sigmund Freud? And so much of the church is involved in this. And listen, I don't care if you've studied this for four years. It's always the same. It's bring up the past. We're going to sit you down. This is what they do. I want to know the first memory that you have. Do you know that God in his infinite wisdom causes children not to have good memories for a reason? Can you imagine having a perfect memory of the day you were born? How terrifying would that be? That would haunt your nightmares every day. I don't even want to get descriptive. It's terrible. Can you imagine for however many months, 24, I don't know. Don't, I don't know. For some of you, it's still you breastfed when you were five. Can you imagine at eight months having a perfect memory of breastfeeding on your mom's breast and it's still in your mind every day? How terrible would that be? Ah! There is a reason why children forget. There's a reason. It's because God is wise. And then old Freud comes along and say, no, the first thing you can do in trying to help somebody is what is your first memory, especially if it was a harmful one. And they then want you to drag up the past. Oh, well, you know what? In modern psychology, they can even probe the mind and bring out memories that were put in a forgotten file of when people were molested and raped. And they're like, oh, now that we know you were abused, now we can deal with it. No, God dealt with it by giving you a short memory. And God forbid it was when you were older than it happened and you still remember. It is a terrible thing that women go through and young boys. And by the way, if it did happen, you don't need to think about it every day. You need to press on towards the high calling of God, not modern psychology talking about how terrible, oh, you're a victim. We're all victims. Some worse than others. I get it. But we're all victims. Satan has attacked you and sent demons after you your whole life. And even worse, you're a victim of your own desires, which is the flesh. Forget the past as much as you can. I'm not saying don't be a student of history. It's important to know history. I'm not saying forgetting the grace of God in the past. But receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and stop beating over yourself over past sins. Forget it. 
Move forward. Number four, create godly habits. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is uh, where we see that word habit, in all, uh, really the only time in scripture. And it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How do we do that? Do you know the central subject here is going to church? It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You know, even in the early church, people thought they didn't have to go uh, be plugged into a local church. They started not coming to church on Sunday morning, which the early church met on Sunday morning, no matter what the STAs want to tell us. Is this too rough? Make it a habit in this context of going to church. It even goes on to say, do not forsake the assembling together of believers. Even so much as you see the day of Christ approaching, it says to stir up each other in loving good works. Do you know what's interesting? And listen, if you disagree with me on this, that's okay. Each person has their opinion. It's okay if you're wrong on this issue. During the COVID, when they were shutting the world's churches down and letting strip clubs stay open, do you know the reason they gave the church? The government gave the church. Since when does the government ever give churches good reasons to close its doors? I don't care what the government says. I automatically disbelieve them because they're the government. And then they say, hey, uh, the reason why you should close your church is if you really loved each other, you would not want to get each other sick. Isn't that fascinating? It's like, well, well, no, I don't want to get my friends and the body of Christ sick. That's true. That's interesting. But Hebrews talks about, in Hebrews 10 as well, you know what it talks about? It talks about the reason why we gather together is love itself. Isn't it fascinating that the greatest portion of scripture in the Bible, the, 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 the clearest command to attend church is for the sake of love, but Satan convinced the majority of churches in the world not to meet because of love. He is so counterfeit, it's laughable how Satan has never had an original thought. And then it says, as much as you see the day of Christ approaching, we've never seen a time where we think the day of Christ is approaching and the governments of the world convince the church not to meet. How silly. Now that's a side note, but, but back to uh, creating godly habits. You have to choose to have good habits in your life, both physical and spiritual. Let me give you a couple of physical ones. Eat healthy. Eat healthy. You know what's good for your mind to eat healthy? It actually quickens your mind. Another one, drink plenty of water. Guys, this is a holistic sermon right here. You get it all. Just, just do this today, please. Just, if not, share the gospel, which is more important, but go drink 10 glasses of water today. I guarantee you, you have more energy and you have a clearer mind. Just drink 10 glasses of water. That's a good habit. 
It even talks about uh, uh, health physically is like medicine to the spirit. It's like medicine to the bones. Can I get an amen, doctors? Is there any doctors? That was like a, a soft amen. Ronnie, can I get an amen? Thanks, man. Thank you. That's my doctor friend. Exercise regularly, number two. Listen, guys, it is not attractive to have two-inch biceps. It's just not attractive. Why did you give up after you got married? Do you see how many older men have massive bellies? Some of you are here. Looks like you're pregnant. When did you stop trying to look good for your wife? I, it's important to exercise. And listen, maybe your schedule's full and you can't get to the gym. Good. A man shouldn't go to a co-ed gym anyways. Just, just so you know. It's okay sometimes, but it, it, it's got to be careful. But listen, maybe you can't get to the gym. You can do push-ups. Guys, just start doing some push-ups. Do 100 push-ups a day. You'll notice a difference after three weeks, you'll notice some muscle tone. And it's good to have muscle tone. You don't want your future wife to grab your arm and feel jello. You want her to grab your arm and be like, oh, he can protect me. Exercise regularly. And, 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 and for your spirit, spend time with God. That's a non-negotiable. If you're not spending time with God each and every day, I can promise you, you will not be effective as a Christian. You'll have zero influence on the world. You will have zero power over your friends by, uh, for the sake of God. Another one, read. Become a reader. It's a great habit. Become a reader. If you don't read books and I don't want the excuse, well, I, I'm not a reader. That's dumb. That's silly. I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't like reading. You don't like reading. Oh, so you don't like being smart? You don't like being knowledgeable? You don't like being educated? Have you guys ever noticed if you start the habit of reading and you get into it, you can even talk to people better because you have things to talk about? Facebook, and I'm not against Facebook if you're salt and light, but Facebook has contributed nothing to social interaction. You get young people today, just, it's almost like they're, I'm trying to be nice. They can't talk. They go up and be like, hey. So what are you interested in? I don't know. Oh, what am I interested in? Ding, 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 ding. Get your face off of Facebook and get your face in a book. I mean, if you have not read one of C.S. Lewis's books, are you out of your mind? You're talking about one of the greatest geniuses who's a Christian man of the world and you haven't read? What, are you smarter than him? You figured it out? If you have not read one of Tozer's books, Spurgeon's, the Institutes by John Calvin. If you've not studied Ephesians with Martin Luther, if you've not read holiness, though I don't agree with everything R.C. Sproul says, if you've not read that book, 
holiness by R.C. You want to know about end times? Get one of Chuck Smith's books on the book of Revelation or his teaching or John MacArthur or a commentary on the, the book of Revelation. Okay. What, what are you waiting for? You need to create the habit of reading. I, guys, I can tell if somebody's a reader or they're not within three minutes of conversation with them. So I need three to five minutes to be like, okay, that person's a reader. They know things. They know things. If you've never read Mugridge or Chesterton or, 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 or Dostoevsky, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Create godly habits. Number five, be joyful in all things. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 16, 26 and 27, because all the gods of the nations are just like idols, but it is the Lord who created heaven and greatness and grandeur are in the front of him. Strength and joy are in his place. A joyless, pruny Christian is not very fun to be around. You guys know those people who walk into the work and their face just looks like a prune. It's like, you guys pray for me. Those people annoy me. They're like, what's wrong with you? I'll say this to me. What's what's going on? What's wrong with you? Okay, yeah, we all notice when you walked in here, you're not having a good day. How's it going? Now listen, I I understand that there's a level of discernment that needs to go on here. And maybe somebody, you got to have discernment. Maybe somebody's joyful all the time and then they walk in on a rare occasion. Don't go up to them and be like, you have no joy. Wisdom. But that person day after day after day who calls themselves a Christian that has no joy. It's not good. We heard a a testimony yesterday of a, 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 a daughter, one of our worship team. Telling her mother, you have no joy. You're like, you're like grandma. You're just mad every day. Do you have joy? Do you know the power of a smile and an encouraging hello? To let people know you're happy to see them. And listen, if you're not happy to see them, fake it. Be joyful in all things. Be joyful at your workplace. Stop complaining. Oh, you know, the boss has got us working extra hours. And blah, 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 blah. Go talk to your boss about it. There was an old pastor who's now been with the Lord. And he, um, he, he, was, he was a rough guy. I, I, I'm talking more roughly today than I actually am. I'm a softy. But this guy was an assistant pastor. And people would come in and start complaining about somebody in the church. And he would get out his notepad and a pen and he would start writing. And eventually those would be like, hey, what are you writing? He says, I just want to make sure that the person you're talking bad about knows everything you're saying bad about them. (laughs) You know, they immediately stop talking bad about people. Be joyful at your workplace. Some of you have terrible jobs. I get it. Many of you aren't getting paid by your employees and it's not right. I agree with you but you should still have joy wherever you go. Number six, be bold. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, that we can boldly approach the throne room of God. In order to be bold before men, you must first understand that the cross of Jesus Christ 
has given you access to walk boldly in the throne room. Talk to him. Say, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why Kenya is so poor and I've had to grow up hungry at times. I don't get it. I don't get why my family members are are sick. The Lord will speak to you. He's gracious. He's kind. Be bold. If you can bow before God, then you can stand before men. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. But even after we have suffered before and were spitefully treated, terribly treated, at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. These guys are going through terrible things. Prison, beatings, and yet they are bold before man. We live in a very pluralistic society, and it has permeated the church. Pluralism, plurality, diversity. You hear these words all the time. We need to be diverse. Usually it's a guy with a list. We need to be diverse. Let me tell you, Not everybody has equally valid things to say. The only thing that is valid is when truth is spoken. I have every right given to me by God to tell a Muslim that Jesus Christ is Lord because that's the truth. I have every right to tell my Hindu friends that it is not accurate that we can be reincarnated into a worm because Jesus Christ is God. Every right. And, and, and to give you an example of pluralism and how it's permeated, even our language permeated, let me tell you, if you go up and say to somebody, well, I believe, well, I believe that the Bible is God's word. That's a pluralistic statement. The Bible is God's word whether you believe it or not. Stop using what you think is tactful language. Just be loving when you speak. You don't have to, to be pluralistic. You don't have to be like, I believe. No, the Bible is God's word. He created you and you're estranged from him and you ought to get to know him because he loves you and he died for you. He wants your sins to be forgiven. Be bold. Be bold. Number seven, take it easy on yourself. I I know that's kind of a slang way to say, but Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop treating forgiveness as something to be earned, but rather something to be received. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. You don't need to beat yourself all up all the time for failing. If you want to be used by God, you need to move forward and not live a legalistic life. Can you imagine if we as a worship team were so legalistic over every time we made a mistake? which you don't notice all the mistakes we make. We make them all the time. One time my wife was singing Man of Sorrows. And one of the lines in the song is praise and honor unto thee, T-H-E-E. And she's sitting there on a Sunday morning. Praise and honor unto me. (laughs) We heard her. 
Oh, we laughed at her. We laughed to this day. That was years ago. Right in that room, we're laughing. Can you imagine if we were a legalistic worship team? Got in there and had a meeting with the elders. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What were you really wanting? You want worship? Take it easy. Breathe easy. We're all just a bunch of wicked, infinitely wicked compared to his righteousness. This is no excuse for sin. But you need to let go of the past. You need to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Take it easy on yourself. And number eight, enjoy the presence of God. Take pleasure in him. The Bible says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your hand are pleasures forevermore. In his hand. And I want you to know, his hand is not closed to you. It's open. Open. He wants you to have them. Have some pleasure. Not fleshly pleasure. Not worldly pleasure. The pleasure of the presence of God. Practically speaking, sometimes you just need to sit alone. Turn your phone off. Get away from people. And speak to him and just say, Oh Lord, fill me with your pleasure. The pleasure of your presence. The beauty of your nature working through me. Give me love for my enemies. Have you ever experienced the pleasure of having love for somebody that you previously hated because they hurt you? Only God can give you that pleasure. As the worship team comes up, number one, get out of your comfort zone. Do something different. Number two, walk in the power of God. Number three, don't live in the past. Number four, create godly habits. Number five, be joyful in all things, your workplace. Number six, be bold. Number seven, take it easy on yourself. Receive forgiveness. You can't earn it. Number eight, enjoy the presence of God, which are pleasures forevermore. You guys do these eight things. We could go over 100. You do these eight, you will be used by God. You'll have people asking you where you go to church. Like, you know what? We really like you. You're just always joyful. You just have this power about you. Where do you go to church? Guess what you're going to tell them? Calvary Chapel. Not because anybody here is, I mean, you're special, you know, in a sense, but in terms of the power, it's Jesus Christ. It's his word. He's amazing. Welcome. Welcome, worship team. You do those eight things. You apply them. You apply them. Guys, you go out in that world and you start winning souls for Christ. We'll fill up this church. We'll rip it down. We'll build another one. We'll see people saved. There is a harvest still to come for Calvary Chapel Eldoret. Amen? As we pray, I'm going to ask the ushers and deacons to come forward to receive today's offering for those who have purposed in their hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of your word, the privilege of knowing how our attitude should be. There's no, there's no room for complaining. There's no reason that we should make the journey of life 
and not apply these biblical attitudes. We don't want to be useless. We want to be used, Lord. Help us to choose these good habits, these good attitudes, these actions. Thank you for the privilege we have to give of our finances, that we may continue in your work, expanding your kingdom in the hearts and minds of men and women. Grant us wisdom through the administration of these gifts, that we may glorify you, our God. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you ushers and deacons come forward as I still talk. If there were to be five questions that you could gather a panel of uh, experts, scholars, Bible teachers, counselors, theologians, and you say, what are the five most important questions of life? Five most important questions. I can guarantee you on the top two, two would be, who created us? That's God. Who created us? And is he still alive? Larry King, that Jewish interviewer, so sad, so sad. But somebody asked him a question, and it's so sad because he's not saved, and he refuses to believe, and he's very old now. I think he's in his 80s. Very smart man, very interesting man. And he was asked a question. Somebody said, you've been doing interviews for 50 years, asking some of the world's most influential people questions. You've asked kings and queens and, and presidents and actors and theologians and all these people. What is the one question you would want answered? And he said, did Jesus Christ really raise from the dead? Because if that question was answered, it would answer every other question in life. Two questions is, who created us? And is he still alive? And I so sad, I just saw a, he retired, but he, he had nothing to do, so he started interviewing again. And these two brilliant old men, Larry King and Anthony Hopkins, both in their 80s, a recent interview, and they're talking about death. They're scared. They both said they're very scared. They're terrified of death. They're getting ready to die. They don't have many years to live. And they refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. This song, one of my favorite songs, you're going to just sit and enjoy, answers both of those questions for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's listen to My Redeemer Lives Together. <laughs> 